Welcome to the Yorkshire Grit Podcast. Tackling some of the biggest issues in men's mental health. This episode is sponsored by Prior Solicitors. They are specialists at helping people who have been injured, be it in an accident or medical mistake. They're a good group of people. They're based in York. Prize can help you claim compensation, but they aren't like your average ambulance chasing compensation solicitors type people. They are specialised in medical negligence and personal injury for nearly 20 years, so they've been going a while. This means they work with medical experts to help you get not just the compensation you deserve, but often the answers you need to get your life back on track. So if you want to find out more, give them a ring 01904 556600 or just type into Google, just type in priors.co.uk, quote Yorkshire Grit, give them a ring, speak to them. They'll advise you for free if they can help and they'll help you make a claim on a no win, no fee basis. So thank you very much, Priors. The Yorkshire Grit Podcast. Hello, series three, episode three, we're back. So sorry to bore you all again. It's me, it's Tom. Really, really, really lucky to have Non Stamford here today in the studio. Luckily, she lives in Leeds, so she's local. Non, thank you very much for coming down here today. Well, thank you very much for having me. The weather's not great today, but I feel like we navigated it pretty well. It wasn't too bad. I was half expecting you to say, oh, I've been out training. <laughs> well, I've been training, but um, indoors today, luckily in the pool and the gym. But yes, yeah, Storm Eunice. Is that what it is? That's what it is, is uh, tearing through the country right now, isn't it? But it's not too bad in Leeds, is it? I think South Wales, where all my family are, you've got like roofs being blown off and everything's grounded, schools are cancelled. But up here, it's just a tis but a stiff breeze. <laughs> it is but a st- Because let's be honest, right? Yorkshire. Yorkshire. Can you do a Yorkshire accent for us? Yorkshire? No, no. Yorkshire. <laughs> like the old rhetoric would be, well, you can train in this. I would have probably been like that back in the day. It would have caused me a lot of anxiety not to go out. Oh, fuck, what do I do? What do I do? Can I go out? I can't go out. What am I going to do inside? What am I going to do? Prove myself. We had that little chat earlier about, no, I need to go out. Prove like longer, faster, harder. Don't care about the weather. Do you feel like you don't need to prove that anymore? Or are you just more, more knowledgeable now? Yeah, you could probably say more knowledgeable, but yeah, I often say being there, got that t-shirt. You know, I I did my dues in my early 20s where I went out in all weathers. Doesn't end well, does it? It doesn't end well. It's miserable. It's not enjoyable. So yeah, you know, sometimes you've got to go out when it's raining, but when the weather's really bad, just stay stay inside and go on the turbo. You know, there's no prizes for being a hero in the middle of the winter. And uh, yeah, I tend to... um, I don't like to say take the soft option, but yeah, this weekend, if the wind is as forecast, I will be on my turbo. Do you know what? That brought me back to like a moment then, because you have that internal, the pain of going out on the bike in the rain is less than the pain of not doing it at all. And I used to be that kind of internal monologue, Tom, just go out, just go out. And before you know it, all day you procrastinated about doing it. We've all been there, but really deep down, if I could go back and look at myself and tell myself, just chill the fuck out. Like, it's going to do you good not going out today. Just chill, relax, do something inside. But at that moment, you like, we are obsessives, aren't we? Oh, 100%. Yeah. And I think all <laughs> athletes have that, like, guilt trip. You guilt trip yourself if you feel like you've missed something. Oh, yeah. It's awful. You get sort of anxiety. And I used to be terrible for it. But um, I like to think I've grown up in the last few years. But, uh, I, you know, I still, I still go through that. But um, maybe a bit better at controlling those demons. Yeah, guilt's a big one. It eats you up constantly thinking, am I doing enough? You know, but anyway, none. You are from Swansea. 
little bit of info i googled your name nom i said it in starbucks then it is after no you you tell us because i'll just get it wrong again something to do with saint david is the patron saint of wales yeah, so St. David is the patron saint of Wales and his mum was St. Non and my family used to go on holidays a lot to St. David's as yeah. I was growing up, or before I was born, obviously. And every girl that's baptised in St. David's, the city there, has to be baptised non. So that's where my parents got it from. I mean, I used to hate it growing up because it's just unusual, isn't it? I think and it's a, bit... a great name. That's but... why I wanted to find out. Because if you go on Google and type your name in on Google, there's four things that come below it. What is your name? What is Non's age? And is she married? Is Non stand for or boyfriend? I'm sure it was one of those four things. I should have took a picture. But nah, that's a great name. That's a great little story. Well, it's definitely unique, isn't it? There's no nobody else competing, certainly in triathlon, with the same name as me. I don't know if there's another Non Stanford in the world. If there is, please reach out and let me know. But um, I like to think I'm the only one. What's your mum and dad's called? Jill and John. Very standard, Jill and John. normal. <laughs> normal and then Non. <laughs> <laughs> but they did. My brother's Rodri, so Rodri. He, he got another Welsh name. So, tell us about your mum and dad and your brother. Like, what's the crack there? Tell us the dynamic. Yeah, do you know, growing up, we um, were a very active family. Uh, my mum was one of the British gymnastics coaches, so we kind of grew up doing gymnastics. Did she tell you that you wouldn't be? good at gymnastics because yes, you yes. said you wanted to be an olympian to her when yeah. you were eight was it eight? eight yeah eight or nine i got selected to represent wales over in america in a gymnastics competition and i, and I went along and i kind of realized i was like i'm not I'm not as good as these these girls so i came back after the trip and i said to my mum, do you think i'll go to the olympics and she was like probably not like, <laughs> <laughs> i remember I sat in the bath at the time is she quite hard you mum she i think especially when she was younger and, and I was younger, yeah. She, and when she was a gymnastics coach, she was known as being quite tough. But she's a she's a softie, really. But do you know what? She probably saved me a lot of wasted yeah. time. Obviously, from a really young age, had a burning desire to go to the Olympic Games. And um, when she said that, I was like, well, right, I'm going to have to find something that I am good enough to go to the Olympic Games in. So my first idea was to, to try swimming. So I asked my mum to take me along to the local swim club and sort of started that journey there. Um, what's John like? My dad is probably the most laid back guy you'll ever meet. My mum and dad are opposite in that regard. Was he into football? What's he into? Rugby. Rugby. We're Welsh, remember. Yes, so yes. he's a big Ospreys fan. Obviously, Six Nations is the most important time of the year. Really? In yeah. South Wales. So um, yeah, he's he's big, big rugby man. Did rugby growing up. Keeps fit now by running, but he's in his mid 60s so uh, I think he's finding that a bit difficult so he has got a bike so I'm trying to get him out on that a bit more but he's not as easy well he doesn't like it as much as running but he does go out to be fair he goes out and does a couple of hours uh, a couple of times a week so so that's good and what was your brother called again my brother was called Rodri and what's he like yeah, he's great fun. He, I'd say, is like the cooler is he of a the lad? two siblings. Yeah, well, he's into skateboarding, snowboarding. Yeah. He used to play international lacrosse, but still, you know, still does that now as a as a social. And yeah, like I say, he was just the cooler sibling. Went snowboarding for the first time and was doing tricks in the park straight away. And whereas I'd probably be flat on my face somewhere. So, uh. <laughs> so growing up in Swansea, you know, it has this kind of I've got to be careful with what I say here. It's got the kind of same maybe reputation as like a, a Liverpool, a Glasgow. It can be quite a hard place to live. I've never actually been to Swansea. I've been to Cardiff, but not Swansea. You know, what are your memories of like growing up? What was family time like? What was friendships like? What was school like? Did you always have this kind of inner burning desire that you had to be different and that you were always going to be, you know, not obsessive with with, with sport, but you, you were just made from different, you know, different cloths? Yeah, I think... 
now when I look back, I was actually a really intense child and was always so focused on my training and always wanting to be the best. And I look back now and think, wow, I should have just chilled out a bit and enjoyed it a bit more. Like I did enjoy it, but I definitely for me was always about the end goal. You know, I didn't sort of live the process and go through the journey. I was just always focused on, you know, the next race. And if I won the race, I'd have to win it by you know, X amount and I was always pushing really hard. So, and that didn't come from, you know, either of my parents. I can remember uh, swimming as a, as a youngster, I would have to wake my parents up in the morning. What time? Oh gosh, back then it was probably like five, five thirty something like How'd that. How'd you do that? How? <sighs> I don't know. You know, look, looking back now, especially when you're a kid, you get up at five o'clock in the morning, you go to the pool for an hour and a half, two hours for some people. And then you go to school all day, then you go back to the pool in the evening. Like, it's absolutely crazy. When you think about that, that's not far off to me, like some form of torture, <laughs> like a child slave camp. Yeah, I'm not being funny, but you're up at five, you're doing two hours, then you're going to school for eight hours, then you're doing two hours. Yeah, we're fucking you over here big time. <laughs> but um, does that stand you in good stead, that level of discipline, or does it, make you want to rebel and just the cracks form and go nah this isn't sustainable I think it depends on your personality so for me I think it definitely laid a really good foundation being part of a swim club growing up for being disciplined learning how to train hard how to push yourself how to be organized because obviously you have to be pretty organized if you're training that much trying to fit in school work and still you know trying to have a relatively normal social life. But for me, I think it just became, it was the routine, it was the norm, it's what you did. I had a great group of friends at training, so you had fun, I guess maybe a slightly sadistic type of fun at yeah. times. But at school as well, my friends were, I was really lucky that my friends were really understanding, always really supportive, were never like, oh, well, why aren't you coming yeah. you know, here with us? Well, you, why can't you spend the weekends with us? Why aren't you coming to this party? They were always really good and you know, they're still, my group of friends now. I still speak to them all every day. That's fantastic. So I'm really lucky. I mean, even though they're all still in South Wales, we're in a WhatsApp group and, and constantly chatting. So how many WhatsApp groups are you in? None. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Oh God, I haven't got a clue. They get they get a bit um, excessive these days. Don't they? WhatsApp groups, yeah. People make a WhatsApp group for going to the toilet or something. I already feel inadequate, <laughs> and like you know. But anyway, so you did the swimming, and that kind of put you in good stead and you were an amazing swimmer. That was your main thing, swimming at that age. You were, I want to say you did a national level, young, youngish, am I right? Yeah, I went to like the equivalent of, I guess, the British champs when I was, gosh, maybe 12, 13. I think I did a couple of them. I think my best result was maybe ninth in the 800 meters, which considering I used to be tiny for my age, I was so small. I didn't really grow until I was about 15, 16. So I was swimming against, you know, girls that were much bigger than me and I, so I did pretty well and I was definitely fully set on being a swimmer you know that's what I wanted to do I thought I'd be able to go to the Olympics with it can, can I ask you a question sorry to interrupt you I, I, I interrupt people too much I, I'm, I'm a bit of a dick for doing that <laughs> but like swimming fucks with my head so I was really fit at cycling and I decided to do triathlon at Leeds and I was like oh yeah I can ride 60 mile 70 mile swimming is going to be a piece of piss I remember to this day never being as humiliated, like being in speedos was bad enough, probably for other people. <laughs> and the guy went, yeah, uh, what was the warm up? I can't remember, like 400 meters. I mean, how many lengths is that of a 25 meter pull? 16. Look how quick you are. You're like a darts player. You just know the calculations. You just know, yeah. yeah. I don't think I could do more than two lengths front crawl. Couldn't do it, wasn't getting anywhere. 
And then within like three minutes, I remember I was just doing breaststroke for the rest and constantly stopping by the steps where you could sit and watch people do it. Explain to me swimming because I, I can't get my head around it. Is it all technique? Yeah, swimming is a super technical sport. So it's really hard to pick up later in life. And I take my hat off to anybody that comes into swimming at a later age and actually develops into a, you know, a good swimmer because I think generally you have to start swimming at a really young age and sort of reinforce those techniques and those sort of motor pathways. And yeah, I think to walk into a swimming pool when you're, what were you, probably 18, you know, from just probably doing mostly cycling, it's really tough. Um, but, but why? I, I, I can't get over how, cr the fitness doesn't mean anything. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's, it's a weird thing to say. I've never like seen a sport like it. Yeah, no, it is. It's really, it's really bizarre. And like you watch people who, you know, are, have been swimming for years and it, they make it look quite easy. Yeah. I mean, even if you compared my stroke to, you know, an Olympic swimmer stroke, you'd be able to tell, you know, the difference. They're so much easier because they spend, you know, those Olympic swimmers are doing like 60 to 80K a week in the pool. So that's a lot of swimming and that just takes years and years to develop. So yeah, swimming is really hard to pick up. So in triathlon, it's a one, is it a one mile swim or a one, it's 1500? 1500 meters, yeah. Right. What's the quickest you've done that in? Oh gosh, because um, I've never done one in the pool. I'd say like the quickest that we've done it in a race is like, I don't know, 18, 19 minutes. We don't really, I don't really look at the times. It's more about kind of the race and where you get out relative to, to the lead and stuff. And conditions vary so much because it's open water. So. I did Weatherby Triathlon once. Yeah. Or was it Skipton? No, Skipton. I okay. can't remember. And I did it in 28, 27 or 28 minutes, I can't remember, or even longer. Might have been longer. Um, not too bad. I'm not going to say it's the worst experience of my life because <laughs> trying to run the three peaks was the worst experience of my life. But doing that, the, when you're in the water, people barging past you, you feel you're going to drown, you can't breathe, you're drinking in water. It's like a different level of respect, really. It's It kind of goes a little bit, triathletes get a bad name. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying that, you know, this is a cycling-based podcast. I, I I get that. But you do get a bad name, triathletes. But fuck me, try open water swimming with a group of like 100 people. Good luck. Yeah, the thing with, with swimming and especially open water swimming is with cycling or running, if you're really struggling or feel like you just stop, you can just stop what you're doing. Whereas if you're in the middle of a lake or out in the ocean, <laughs> you can't really stop. You can stop and tread water, but you're still having to work to, you know, keep yeah. yourself afloat. And I think that, that kind of real fear of of going under and, you know, it, it's potentially life-threatening. People find that really hard to deal with. And if you're panicking, then it makes swimming even harder. And yeah, it's definitely a special skill set or something you've got to learn to get confident with. Who's the best female and male triathlon swimmer in the world? Best female would be Jess Learmonth, British. And the best male... Well, used to be Richard Varga. I remember him. Of Slovakia. He trained in Leeds for quite a while, Crazy actually. Slovakian guy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's brilliant, yeah. But he's kind of not doing quite as much at the minute. So uh, now, who leads out for the men a lot? Vincent Louis of France? Well, he's just he's just unbelievable. Yeah, well, he's just good at everything. He's just one of these uh, athletes that's good at swim, bike and run. Is he better than Alistair Brownie was back in the day? <sighs> that's a big call. He's double world champion. So he is, he's shit uh, out, yeah. He's, yeah, he's pretty good. He was unfortunately injured for the Olympics, but um, I mean, Alistair was pretty special. So it's hard to say, you know, they call Alistair the greatest one day athlete. Do they? Yeah. Like he's like the Roger Federer of triathlon. 
He just won everything, didn't he, at one point? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he was really impressive. Yeah. And Johnny as well. How many podiums did Johnny get in a row? I want to say like 70 podiums. Yeah, he was, broke a record for the amount of podiums. It, oh, I don't think anybody's come anywhere close to to what Johnny did in terms of his consecutive podiums at World Series level. I think I've heard him say he was almost relieved when he finally didn't get the podium because he's like, this case over. I don't have to keep proving myself. But yeah, the, the both of them, are their you know history in triathlon is really impressive. How much money do you reckon he's made then, Johnny, with all them podiums? Like, <laughs> wouldn't even like to guess. <laughs> it's good money though, wouldn't it, triathlon? Like, a lot more than me. <laughs> so we were spoke about this, about the prize money in triathlon. And women's and men's prize money in triathlon is, it's the same, right? Yeah, it's equal. We're, we're really lucky that um, we have equal pay. We have equal opportunity to race. We race over the same distance. So yeah, the World Series, which is like the premier series within Olympic distance triathlon, you would get per race. If you won series race, it would be 20,000 US. But then at the end, so the world champion in triathlon is decided over the series. How many events are there in the series? Seven or eight? There's seven or eight, but you have to do five uh, to get your total score. So your best five scores. And you win 20 grand each one? Each one, if you win. And what's, what's second and third? Second is maybe 18, third 15. Jesus and it goes Christ. down to top 20. So I think 15 to 20 get a grand each. Right, I'm going to calculate this, Nan, because you won in 2013. So let's, let's calculate how much money you make <laughs> and how much you get if you win the overall. So then the overall, I think, and I don't want to get this wrong, but I think it's around between 60 and 80 grand for the extra then for the overall prize pool. So the, so the money's good. I mean, we're not talking anywhere near cycling, probably. the top. No wonder you got that BMW out there. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I, I knew the money was good in triathlon. Because it is good, isn't it? And I've got to be really careful what I say here. Relative to cycling, the strength and depth isn't there. It's, if you, it's a newer sport, isn't it's it? It's a newer, so. of course it is. I, I try and explain this to people. If you look at the top, I think, I don't know how many, there's 180 guys do the Tour de France or Tour of Flanders, Paris-Roubaix. And there's a cycling website called Pro Cycling Stats. I don't know how many cyclists there are. A thousand, including pro continental level, whatever. If you look at like the 100 cyclist at the moment, it's probably someone like Omar Frelia for Sky, who's won stage of the Giro d'Italia, or someone like Luis Leon Sanchez. You know, unbelievable. The depth is just insane. Do you see triathlon one day getting that level? Because it seems to me like, um, I hate to keep on going on about Joey Alistair, but they were, they were winning for ages. A bit like in tennis, the free Nadal, Djokovic, no one could break through. For ages. But are we seeing a new, a nuanced version of what triathlon is now? Are we seeing the new breed? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, there's definitely new names that, that have come through since 2016. So 2016 was when Alistair won his last Olympic gold medal. And there's definitely been a new breed of, of athletes come through. But Alistair changed Olympic distance triathlon. He changed how it was raced. He made it more aggressive. He made it so that you have to be good at all three. So really? you can't just be a good runner. You're going to have to be there from the start in the swim. You have to be a good cyclist because, you know, Alistair is a really good cyclist. He's really strong. So what, he ripped up the rule book? I think so. Yeah, he came in and I think Lance Armstrong was famous for saying triathlon was like a shower, a hair dry, and then you run as fast as you can. So basically you doddle around in the swim and the bike, dry your hair off, and then then the actual racing starts. So Alistair changed that. Alistair made it so that you have to be good at all three. And you're now seeing the generations that are coming through after Alistair that are good at all three. So you're getting more and more 
athletes that are all round triathletes. They're good at all threes, which means there's, you know, the race is getting closer. They're more competitive. The standard is getting, you know, constantly edging up. Eventually it will, but the limitation with triathlon is you can only have, you know, at maximum 70 on a start line for health and safety reasons, because you're swimming. Of course. Yeah. Whereas in the, you know, in, in the big cycling races, you can, what do you have? 150. 80. 180 at that. 180. Grand, yeah, something like that. Yeah. At, you know, the Grand Tour. So you can have more, more people, but you obviously have, at the minute, there's a far more, you know, strength of depth, depth of talent in cycling because there's more, more athletes at the minute. But yeah, I think triathlon will get, gradually get stronger and more competitive and you'll get more athletes coming through and those margins between first and 10th are getting smaller and smaller every year. That That is fascinating. That moment then when you were like, he changed it and stuff. I find that so interesting. Anyway, look, we skipped a little bit. So Swansea, Wales, swimming, did really, really, really well at swimming. At what age were you when you moved to Leeds? I was 21. So 21, 22. talk us through, you know, 16, 17 to the Leeds. Where was the decision? Because that's a really big move. Like I'd find it hard to move that far away. Massive respect for doing that. Yeah, I guess. So I went to study at university in Birmingham. So I'd kind of moved halfway up the country and I'd gone there because during my teenage years, I'd started running, uh, running quite competitively. I was really fortunate that I was mentored by Dame Kelly Holmes. No. Um, yeah, I was really lucky uh, that she identified that I was a talent and picked me up. And um, What's she like? She's amazing. She is just an amazing person, but obviously, obviously an amazing athlete. She was double Olympic champion in the same year. So that's, that's pretty rare in track and field. But she was just so generous with her time in trying to educate the next generation of female runners in Britain coming through. There was, I think, eight of us or six of us that went away on a training camp to South Africa back in end of 2004, actually, just after she won her her two medals. And um, it was a massive turning point in my career, having somebody like Kelly identify your talent and believe in you and teach you all the things that you probably wouldn't have learned until, you know, later on in your career. So she kind of prepared us for what it's like to travel, what it's like being an elite athlete, how you live and train like an elite athlete. What's and her mentality like? She's another, she's super tough. She's such a tough athlete. You know, she kind of learned her craft in the army. She was a PT in the army before she became a professional athlete. So she definitely has that kind of military attitude and military approach to training and was just super professional about everything. Everything had to be done to the nth degree. Um, she was all about the f fine margins and the small percentages. And But at the same time, to have given up all that, she just won two Olympic gold medals. She didn't need to go away with a group of 15 to 18 year olds to South Africa for a month and and basically teach teach us everything she knew she didn't need to do that and she did so she was really generous in that regard but it's in giving that you get back yeah you know I think it's really important that sport has given us so much and at some point you have to of course you do. return that because there is you know hopefully a load of young athletes coming through and and they deserve to get what I had, you know? So, I, you know, I think that's really important that you do give back and do what you can, you know, not everybody can do what Kelly did. She had a lot of backing and a lot of sponsors that helped her run that, that scheme, but- um, But it found you. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it like I said, it, it changed the course of my career and, and gave, you know, I was always driven and ambitious, but I think it just gave you that extra sort of bit of belief really. So yeah, that's how, you know, I ended up going to Birmingham University as Birmingham. a Birmingham. Birmingham. What was Birmingham? What was Birmingham like? Yeah, I loved it. It had a really good running squad. It was a great city to kind of, it was a big step moving from Swansea to, you know, Birmingham. Swansea's a small, small city, coastal town to 
Birmingham, which is a massive city. I can remember finding the driving really overwhelming initially because you've got to drive quite aggressively just to get anywhere. So um, yeah, but I had a really, really good time. And I actually was injured for most of my time at university. So that's actually why I started triathlon. So in my second year of university. Any, any nights out? Any freshers? Oh yeah, I partied hard. And what was that? Was it good? Was it a good party city? Good. Yeah, really good party city. So, I mean, you could go out any night of the week and it would be packed. So, um, I think that's something I quite like about you. Because when I did triathlon at Leeds, it was a bit obsessive. You know, I, I could see people were like, and I was obsessed, so I can't really talk. But with you, you've always had this element of normality and not being uber competitive well no you are competitive but uh, not obsessed like i could imagine you you know you do have beers you know you you do i've seen you at the cafe eating cake and just not that bothered and you know it's it's nice and refreshing to see someone who's not absolutely obsessed with being stick you know you look incredible don't get me wrong <laughs> but but there was a time at leeds where it did get very very unhealthy for some people yeah, I think what was good for me is that I didn't start triathlon until I was 19 and I went to university and I more or less led a fairly normal student life because I was mostly involved with the athletics club, led, had a really good social life with the athletics club because compared to triathlon, athletics don't put, you know, have the same hours to, to do. You can't run that many hours. So we had a bit more free time to, you know, to enjoy ourselves. And I think for me, that was really good because I had that balance. I had that taste of what it's like to be a bit more normal. I'm not saying triathletes aren't normal, but yeah, kind of a bit of a perspective. And also I got it out of my system. I got that partying out of my system. So by the time I moved to Leeds, I didn't need to still do that as much. Um, so I was able to kind of knuckle down, but equally I always had that perspective and um, kind of kept me on the straight and narrow, I guess. Why Leeds? I worked for a year after I graduated in Birmingham. Um, I worked part-time in a bike shop and part-time at the university for the sports scholarship department. And my then coach, Steve Lumley, decided that he well, he, he met his wife and they were moving to Malaysia. So I was kind of at a crossroads. Do I get a real job and get on with my life or do I give triathlon a bit of a go? Like I hadn't been doing it very long and I wouldn't say I was showing any particular promise, but I thought, well, I'll give it a go for a year. And then if it, if all goes tits up, I can just go, go and get a job. It's fine. And at the time I was still working with Kelly Holmes and she was good friends with Malcolm Brown, who was yes. running, running the program up here in Leeds. So He's, he was a legend. Yeah. He was amazing. He is. He's, um, the type of guy, he's like a Jurgen Klopp figure. You, <laughs> yeah. you would just want a hook from him. Yeah. He's like, he was like the granddad, not in terms of age, but no. just that sort of comfort, yes. um, comforting figure. He is exactly the type of person I would need. Yeah. Just, I don't want someone hard, don't want someone tough. I want someone who would, if I was crying, he'd hug me. If I was having a bad day, was he like that? Yeah, definitely. He was really balanced, really softly spoken yeah. and just was so wise and just sort of, you know, you could feel that when he walked into a room. Do you remember that West Park Deli? Yes, he was always there. He was always there <laughs> and I was there once and I was in my cycling kit and he, I think he recognised me because I would train with Johnny Alistair and he asked me about training he was like oh so did, uh, what do you think they should do do you think the training is good because they always did big miles on the bike they did as big a miles as me yeah. on the bike 18 20 hours a week they would always do on the bike yeah. and most people are like your races are only 40k yeah you don't you know, <laughs> i 
was like, I was like, I remember saying to them, I was like, guys, mate, my race is like 80, 90 miles. Like, what are you doing? But I think Malcolm always said that it gave him that added endurance and it obviously stops you get from getting injured because it's non-weight bearing. Yeah, exactly. So if you go out on the bike, you're getting that training benefit, but without loading, because running is really high injury risk in terms of loading your bones and your, your tendons and ligaments. So yeah, if you can get some of that mileage and aerobic base work done on the bike, then that's great. And that's, again, something that I think Alistair and Johnny pioneered in triathlon, you know, putting in big bike miles. That was never done before. Well, I never did it until I came to Leeds. Obviously, I was quite new in the sport, but I do think Alistair really pushed the envelope with that one. This is the Yorkshire Grit Podcast. Tandem is the go-to boutique consultancy for all people and HR needs for your business. Training, coaching, reward, and all things learning development. They work with amazing brands to develop and engage standout talent. Their website is tandemconsult.com. Their founder, Clive, is actually cycling London to Paris this year. Well done, Clive. Supporting those suffering from spinal cord injuries. If any listeners want to sponsor him, I'll put a link on the podcast. Thank you very much, Tandem, and good luck, Clive. You made the step to Leeds, and Malcolm uh, Brown, great guy, running coach. How did you find Leeds? Like, what people came in their thousands to replicate what, the Brownies did. Yeah, so when I first came to Leeds, it was 2011, so it was starting to get this reputation as a triathlon hub, yeah. um, especially in the UK. And I was really fortunate that they allowed me into the squad. Um, I was still definitely a, a huge rookie. I hadn't really shown any sort of special potential. Um, I think, you know, there was potential because I'd always been a, a, a very good runner. But yeah, I was really lucky that I was welcomed in. And at that time, there was only one squad in the Leeds Triathlon Centre. There's now like four or five. So, you know, I was thrown straight in the deep end. I'd just been, I'd been training, but nowhere near the level that these guys in Leeds were training. And I think for the first two years, I was just delirious. <laughs> <laughs> I was going out on rides with the boys and blowing up, like completely bonking every ride. Alistair would be pushing me up the dales because I like couldn't, I couldn't see straight. I remember going to one cafe. Where's, where are those caves? Uh, Stump Cross Caverns. Stump Cross Caverns. You might even be on this ride. And I literally couldn't get the scone into my mouth. I was like shaking so much. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get home. But I mean, you did. You had to get home. In those first two years, there were some pretty emotional rides. And it's when, you know, when you were doing a lot with them as well. And I was... I know exactly what you've just said then. <laughs> None. I've got goosebumps. I remember those feelings being in Kettlewell. Yeah. Or <laughs> Miles from Leeds. Or fucking Massam. <laughs> and it's raining on a Wednesday. And someone's shouting at you to, and you can't hold the wheel and you just want to be home. Cry, almost crying. And when you get back to your house in Headingley or whatever, you're just like, what's just happened to me? <laughs> it's like a traumatic experience. It, it is. But the payoff is if you do that for long enough, you will be exceptional. Yeah, that's it. You know, I, I yeah. didn't know any different. I didn't know any better. And I thought these guys are the best in the world. I'll just do what they do. But it was definitely a, a very quick succession from maybe riding two hours at most when I was in Birmingham to going out on these like four, five hour oh, hikes around me. the dales. And like you said, the weather was miserable and I probably didn't have the best bike or the best kit. And I think... You know, after I'd done a few months or a year or so here, the biggest compliment I ever got off Alistair was that you have a very good ability to suffer. And I think that's what got me through. I was just able to, to suffer at the back. I did know it was a great compliment from Alistair. Did he it? compliment? <laughs> um, yeah, you, you must have. 
Yeah, well, I, when I think back now, it was, I was, it must have been in a zombie state for the most of those first couple of years. I did actually at one point have like chronic fatigue overtraining syndrome because I just hit it too hard because we weren't just doing those bike miles. You know, I was in the pool five times a week. I was going out running with them every day. I wanted to talk to you about chronic fatigue. That was 2012 because I had got pneumonia from the exact same thing. And it's not a funny thing to have. It messes with your head mentally. The physical thing is bad enough, but it's the mental thing because there's no, no one goes, right, you'll be ready on this day. Yeah, no, you don't know when you're going to no. be better, do you? I yeah. remember praying I, I would have rather had a broken leg, two broken legs, because at least then, right, fixed. Something like pneumonia or chronic fatigue, it messes with your head. Yeah, you don't know how long it's going to last. You Nobody question, can give you those answers. You're questioning yourself daily. Yeah, well, you do, you do wonder, like, is it in my head? Am yeah. I actually fine? Am I just being soft? But, soft, the famous phrase. Yeah. You know, oh, God, that brings back memories of just questioning myself every day, waking up, feeling my heart rate. You, you know, yeah. you, you know what I yeah. mean. Yeah, is it come back down yet? Yeah, yeah has it come back down yet? <laughs> oh, for, for, uh, oh, no, it's going six weeks higher this morning. You can put yourself, anyone listening here right now who's had chronic fatigue or whatever like that, you can put yourself through hell. And there's kind of no answer. Well, you're probably elevating your heart rate every morning because you're worried about what it's going to be. Yeah, I think I had it for a few few months. I had a good start to the year, had it for a few months. And luckily for me, World Champs that year was later in the year. So it was like late October, which um, was pretty late back then. So I managed to kind of get through it and come out the other end in some sort of shape. I don't know how, but yeah, I'm not looking back. I'm not surprised that I went through that, you know, how quickly I threw myself into the environment here. And so what changed for you to be the world champion in 2013? Because that's phenomenal. You moved to Leeds and within what, three years, something like that, three or four years, you were, you know, you just smashed it. It was just. Yeah, two, well, two years, I guess, because I moved in 2011 and, and became world champion in 2013. And um, I remember, so I won was it surreal winning that in London, Hyde Park, that like that day, was it? Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Yeah, I was just a bit like rabbit in uh, headlights kind of feeling. I didn't really know what to do, how to respond. I was like, right, you need really need to enjoy this moment. But then you're also sort of thinking about, you know, media all around you, your friends and family are there. It's just all a bit manic. But I'm so, so fortunate and, and so lucky that I got to be world champion on home soil because that's exactly. such a special experience because the crowds were insane i can remember just not being able to hear myself breathe because people are screaming at you weirdly i've got this memory of loads of ipads being like held out across the course because people are trying to take pictures so you're running at like iPads, iPads in your face <laughs> i mean it's probably nowhere near like the cyclists where they've got it's crazy isn't it when they're on the climbs um in the the big tour races but yeah it was just a really special experience and, and definitely i think being in London, I know it's a really cliche thing to say, like elevated my performance. I ran incredibly well that day. Like I think I ran a 33.10 and that included a 15 second time penalty because I hadn't got my wetsuit in my box. So that's a, an infringement of the rules in triathlon. You've got to put all your equipment in a box. And I didn't do that. I threw it to the side by accident like in, my, in my hurry to get on my bike. But so I had to serve that on the run. So, you know, with slowing down and accelerating yeah, yeah. again, it was probably like a sub 33.10K, which is pretty impressive off you know, off a 40k bike. Yeah, it is. So that was definitely a pretty cool place to win world champs. It hasn't gone like plain sailing for you, not. And like, that was one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you is because you won this, you know, you were a trailblazer for women. It was amazing. Like, I remember when you won that, you were like, you were like, you were like a big deal in Leeds. You, you did have a lot of attention, but then you've had a few injuries. So 
where do we begin like talking about this and do you want to list off what you've had you know the injuries you've had or we'll be here a while if we did what? but I guess my first major one after world champs was the year after and I tore my plantar fascia the plantar fascia is the the fascia that runs um, on the sole of your foot. And it's quite a common injury for runners, but that was probably one of the most painful things I've ever done. Deep down, I knew it was coming because I'd been in a lot of pain leading up to the point where it tore. But it came from this sort of obsession of wanting to prove that it wasn't a fluke in 2013. Overtraining. Yeah, you know, well, you know, I wanted to come back in 2014 and prove that, you know, I was the best in the world and I could still be the best in the world. And yeah, I just pushed too hard over that winter. I was flying on the track. I actually tore my plantar fascia at a 10K race in Trafford, the start of March, and I was in 32 minute 10K shape. That's why I was going there to run a low 32 minute 10K. And I went through 5K in, I think I went through in just under 16 minutes. And as I went through there, it tore. <gasps> and like, you could literally hear the fascia tear. No, you can't. It was awful, yeah. Seriously. <laughs> and, and did you finish? No, no, I couldn't finish. I like stopped for a bit, tried to like stretch it out and then tried to get going again, but I, I couldn't, I was hobbling. But the worst thing is, because it was like a big loop course, I had to walk a kilometre back to where the St. John's ambulance was because obviously it was 5k from the finish and I knew I'd passed the St. John's ambulance. So I'm like walking back and the, the guy at the ambulance said to me, oh, love, it could be worse. You could have been the one that was leading the race. I was like, was. Yeah. <laughs> I was. <laughs> <laughs> you put, do you just think you were like a hobby runner? Or something? Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Dickhead. Um, did you cry? You must have cried. Oh, yeah, cried initially with the pain. And then when I realised it was really bad, that was because um, Johnny a bit was of shock. Johnny was very open about crying on the first podcast we did when he was told about his injuries. Yeah, does it just feel like your world's ended? Yeah, especially at that point in my career where I'd kind of got into a very obsessive point with it, where you know it was all about triathlon and trying to be the best and doing everything right, and had all these big plans for 2014. It was Commonwealth Games year. It was my first chance to go to Commonwealth Games and represent Wales. And I really wanted to win a medal and win gold for, for Wales, really. And I would have been the favourite athlete probably going into that race. So, yeah, it was like my world fell apart around me, really. There were definitely tears, uh, especially when I saw the doc the next day and he scanned it and said, yep, you're going to be in this boot for the next six to eight weeks. And definitely no riding, no running, you might be able to swim in three or four weeks time. And that week, so I think I raced on the Sunday, got the diagnosis on the Monday and on the Wednesday, the rest of the British team flew off to uh, New Zealand for the for the first race of the World Series. And I was living with Vicky Holland at the time, one of the one of the British athletes. And I can remember sort of waving her off as she was heading off to, to New Zealand and I was on my crutches in a boot. So I think those first few weeks were pretty lonely. Sat at home on the sofa with my crutches, couldn't really get around the house properly like adopted wearing like massive hoodies that so I could stuff things in my pocket to get around the house and like but that's a skateboard that... for my dinner so I could get <laughs> <laughs> But that that's that mental resilience because you had a few others after that as well. Yeah, yeah, I've had quite a few big injuries and my career has kind of been sort of littered with all these injuries and it used to really annoy me that the narrative about my career was, oh, you know, she's come back from injury again mm -hmm. or she's missing this race because she's injured. And yeah. It's not your fault you get injured. It's, well, it, it's just, you know, I was bitter for a long time when I had pneumonia. I never really got it back. I suppose because it's weight-bearing sport, it's part and parcel. But like injuries don't define you. You're defined of how you bounce back from an injury. Yeah, that's definitely the best way to look at it, I think. And like, yeah, okay, some of the injuries probably 
were self-inflicted from overtraining, not listening to my body properly, constantly wanting to push. So but that's what we said earlier about the wind and the rain. You don't go out. You just have to learn. Yeah, you, you have, have to, to make learn. these mistakes. Yeah. We've all done it. Yeah, <laughs> we, we've all we, We've all fucked up. We've all overtrained. We, we've all pushed ourselves when we know we're ill. Yeah. It only comes with time that you realise. And it's almost like that's what makes you a good athlete, but then it's almost your sort of biggest enemy, your biggest downfall. So it's finding the balance between that drive to be the best and also controlling it so that you back off when you have to. But yeah, one or two of my injuries have definitely been just misfortunes. So my most recent one, um, I had to have knee surgery because I tore the cartilage away from my, behind my kneecap. And that was because my saddle dropped in a race. I jumped oh, on no. my bike, the saddle dropped and I rode 40K hard, literally like sort of with my knees around my ears. And it just, for whatever reason, tore the cartilage away from behind my knee. And um, that's just unlucky, you know. I'm pretty sure I'd tightened up my saddle properly and stuff. I think it just snapped, unfortunately. The uh, clamps yeah, that's snapped just... as I jumped on. So that was really unlucky. Now, that was probably harsh because, like, you're like, oh, that was completely out of my control. And I actually thought, I'd said before that, if I ever have another huge sort of injury, I'm probably going to retire. But once that injury happened, I was so determined to to come back and, and continue going. And I don't know where that came from, really. Would you say um, you've had that your whole life, this like never give up sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, I definitely have. Is that just not in your, if you're going to fall, you're going to fall forward? One of the things Kelly actually taught us was never have any regrets. So, you know, when you look back on your career, try not to regret anything that you've done. And I've always said that to myself, oh, I'd probably regret if I walked away from the sport right now. Um, I still feel like I've got more to give and I still want, you know, want to give more. And I've always said I want to retire, best case scenario, I want to retire on my own terms. I don't want to be forced out because of an injury. I want to be like, yeah, I've done everything that I want to or feel like I can do and uh, now's the time. So I think that's always helped as well. But I do have this sort of innate, even from like a really young age, I don't know where it comes from or (laughs) what motivates it, but just to keep going. Yeah, you're not stopping. No. <laughs> and it's like I said, it's, it's sometimes my biggest downfall, but. <laughs> was it hard coming fourth at the Olympics? Yes. In all honesty, finishing fourth at the Olympics ruined my life for about two years. When you say ruined, what like depre- um, depression? Because that'd be really handy for the podcast. You know, if, you, if we could say you've, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, <laughs> I would say I suffered with depression. You know, I didn't want to get out of bed. I'd go to sleep at night hoping that I wouldn't wake up in the morning because I just, really? yeah. And like, I never, I know it was never like, oh, I'm going to do this to, you know, to, to end my own life. But I just would be like, oh, it'd be really good if I just yeah. go to sleep now and I never wake up tomorrow because I don't have to deal with this anymore. And that's so honest. That's, it, so, that's <laughs> such an honest chair. Yeah, it's it was. Not everyone would be comfortable to share that. So I really appreciate you saying that because I know exactly how that feels. It was a really dark place. And I think, the other thing that was really difficult about that time is like, I was like, oh, you're being so selfish. You know, you finished fourth at the Olympics. You should be, you know, there's people that would give an arm and a leg to be at the Olympic Games. You're upset about coming fourth. But, yeah, because yeah, you're a winner. Yeah, but I'd wanted, you know, I'd wanted it so much to get a medal. And to be honest with you, I, I should have probably got a medal. I, you know, I, w- I was definitely tipped to get a medal. And I just felt like I'd fallen short. I'd let a lot of people down, I'd let myself down. I'd let... You know, so many people invested time and money into me and... What, was it just too crippling, the the pressure after? I don't know, because nobody, you know, it was nobody else saying to me, you know, you failed. I didn't get that from anybody else. It was just, you know, myself and I couldn't come to terms with that. And it took me two years to come to terms with that. And I tried talking to various people, but 
in the end, I think I had to get myself out of that place. And, you know, external help works for some people. But for me, I think it was something that I had to reconcile with myself. And I'm still, I'm definitely still not at peace with what happened at the Olympics. I could not, never go back and watch that race. Um, really? No, I just think it'd be too, too difficult for me to sit there and, and, and watch And was it that. harder that two of the Brits did really well? The men, were you just like, fuck off? It must have been hard for you to celebrate their success because I'd have been like, fuck, I'm, I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that was never the issue for me because Vicky finished third in that race. So we actually had a sprint finish and yeah. Vicky was my housemate at the time. So we had a sprint finish and she she won. So beat me by like one or two seconds, I think, in the end. And that was never the issue for me because me and Vicky were so, so close at the time. It was that really conflicting feeling of being so happy for her because I knew how hard she'd worked, how long she'd worked for that, but then obviously falling short of my own um, ambitions and dreams. And that was actually really conflicting for her as well. We were both kind of in this weird limbo place where she was delighted that she'd won a medal, but was devastated for me. It worked both ways. So it was a really weird experience for the both of us, I think. But, you know, we're still great friends now and we're really, really fortunate for that, really. How do you get yourself out of a dark time? How do you wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to do this? Because when that alarm clock goes off, that's the hardest time for me. My, my mind just goes, you're a piece of shit. Stay in bed. You, you know, why, why, why are you getting up, Todd? What are you getting up for? What does your mind tell you when you were waking up in those two years? And, like, and how did you go, no, please fuck off. I'm aware. I have an awareness of these thoughts and these thoughts are bullshit. Honestly, I think a lot of it was habitual. So the alarm goes off in the morning. I get up, I brush my teeth and I go straight to the pool. So you're just kind of in that routine, in that sort of hamster wheel. That's what you did. So I think that's what kept me going because that's just what I'd always done. And it also helped that my partner, Aaron, was around uh, and living with me then. And he would be getting up and going swimming. And it was kind of like he would get me out of bed. And, he's a positive and guy, isn't he? Yeah, no, he's brilliant. Yeah. And <laughs> when I look back now, he went through a lot with me in those few years post Rio. You know, I was emotional a lot of the time, would cry a lot, would say, you know, I'm not sure I can do this anymore. Yeah, he was just sort of, he's a very steady, steady away guy, never really offered advice that I didn't need you know some people try to yeah. sort of push you in a certain direction or something he just kind of listened to what I had to say and yeah would be like well you you know you've got to do what what you want to do but you know you've still got a lot to give and don't feel like you haven't and um, I just think I think help rationalize things for me and keep things in perspective because you could have easily quit yeah I think if Aaron hadn't been around and I'd been at home on my own it'd have been a very different a very different story because like I say he kind of kept me in the routine that that kept me going and um Actually, in at the start of 2017, we went over to Australia together and had a bit of time away from Leeds and sort of in a different environment. And I think that was quite, that was good for me just to, to get away and sort of escape, run away from I get that. the problems I, that yeah, were back here. Yeah, because we've touched on certain areas and where you train and sometimes you can outgrow, let's say outgrow them. And you went to Joe Filio, Spain, Girona? No, we're not Girona. Uh, yeah, no. Well, when I first joined Joel, they were over in Fuerteventura. So that was probably the the final healing process for me. I was definitely getting into a better place by the time I joined Joel's group. But I think I joined Joel's group at the end of 2018 and it was exactly what I needed at the time. It was a 
fresh start, clean slate. You know, nobody knew who I was as a person or what I was like in training in that group. So I could just sort of start again and... I completely wish I could have done... I, I know exactly what you mean there. Yeah. And there was nothing wrong with the Leeds environment, you know, at, at the time, you know, that I needed to escape it because yep. I had so many negative associations with it after the Olympics. It's called doing a geographical. Okay. You just had to... Remove yourself. Yeah, because of, yeah, yeah. And it obviously worked. Yeah, it did. It really showed me that I still loved training. I still really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the racing and I want, this is what I wanted to be doing. So it, I think that has kept me in the sport again until now. And I'm so pleased that I, I did that and I, and I made that move. And I'm very grateful to Joel for, for agreeing to take me on and welcoming me into his group because since 2016 up until 2021, Joel's group was probably the most successful triathlon group. What's he like, this guy? He's great. He's um, a bit of a Malcolm. So I guess like quite quiet, quite reserved, very philosophical. He's Canadian. He used to be the, one of the British triathlon head coaches. So I've, he probably have met him. I have met him. Is he bald? Yeah. Yeah, I've met him. Yeah. Yeah, I think he thought I was all right. <laughs> yeah. What's he doing here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Wow. Bloody hell. Just uh, very good at managing, you know, world-class athletes and the environment. Because at the end of the day, most athletes who are at that level know what they're doing, know what they want to do. And Joel was very good at managing, I don't want to say egos, but, you know, making sure that everyone worked together to get the best out of each other rather than just competing at every session. Yeah, because even though you guys are all enemies on the line, you all need each other in training. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And he made sure the right people came in to that environment to make sure it succeeded. The other thing about that kind of group is you make a conscious decision to go there yeah. uh, and often a financial investment as well to, to be in that environment. So it's not like, you know, if you're in a British triathlon center, you've just kind of moved up through the through the ranks yeah. as, you've, as you've got older. It's a different language. Well, yeah, everyone, everyone speaks good English, thankfully. Yeah. But there, you know, I was the only British athlete there. So hang on, you've been to so see, so Swansea, Birmingham, Leeds. Well, all over the world then with Joel, yeah. You've had some life, haven't you? You've, you know what I mean? It's been amazing. Yeah, I think I'm really, really fortunate that, you know, triathlon has allowed me to travel and, and have these experiences. But I've also, I do think, put myself out there and, you know, allowed myself to have those experiences. And the sport has progressed and changed a lot since I started in terms of how the female races play out. And I've had to adapt to that. So when I first started and up until 2016, it was about being a fast runner. But since then, Jess Leamont has really come to the forefront. Flora Duffy, who's a very strong cyclist. And they've changed the sport and I've had to adapt to that. So, you know, that often means looking for change and, and, and moving with the times. And yeah, I guess I'm fortunate that I've been presented those opportunities, but I've also taken them and, and you've got to have the initiative to take them, haven't you? So it's 2022. You're 33. You're getting married getting in the married. in the summer. Are we are we allowed to say that? Are yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Getting married in, in November, end of November. What's the plan? You know, next couple of years, what are you doing? Good question. Um, I've got Commonwealth Games this year, so at the minute everything's focused at racing while there. Actually, just found out that World Champs is on the same day as our wedding day. So <laughs> World Champs is super late this year. It's November the twenty sixth. It's never ever that late. Where's that? Abu Dhabi. You can't do both. Can you do <laughs> no. both in the same day? No, no, no. no. <laughs> 
So for a number of reasons, it's really late. So when we booked our wedding, we were like, oh, there's no way it will clash. Have you like, paid for the wedding? Fact, the deposit? Oh yeah, it's all paid for. It's all set. We've got family and friends that have already booked their flights to come over from Australia. So we are getting married on that day. So yeah, what the back end of my season will look like, I'm not quite sure because yeah, I won't be going to world champs. But um, I love that about you, Nom. I think that's great. I Yeah, I really like that. <laughs> I rate that a lot. Well, yeah, you've just uh, got to roll with it, haven't you? And it's only a wedding. It's only <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather get married than I've been very lucky to have done a number of world champs. And, um, you know, I'm 33 now. And yeah. What message would you give to people who have struggled with injuries and who have moved places to do triathlon and their path hasn't always been straightforward? They've had to, you know, but they've had great success. Like what, what sort of message would you give to young women who are, you know, want to get into triathlon and men as well? You know, you're inspirational to both people. I think, you know, just persevere, especially something like an endurance sport, endurance sport favors, uh, people that can, can endure a bit, you know, that, that little bit longer and who stick it out. It's not often the most talented people that succeed in, in endurance sport. It's often the people that can just get on with it and work hard. And it's not going to be straightforward. There are going to be tough times. And just be honest with yourself when when the times are hard and, you know, be kind to yourself. I think that's true for any walk of life. Just always prioritize you and your and your mental health. And I know that's a bit, bit of a kind of a buzzword at the minute, prioritizing your mental health. But how dare you? <laughs> it's just, it's true. You know, you, you're likely going to go through through a tough time and hopefully not as, you know, get to a, such a dark place that I did. But if you do, there, you know, there is a way out. And There is um, always a way out. Yeah. And remember why you're doing it. You've got to do it because you enjoy it at the end of the day. And if you're not enjoying it anymore, it's not quitting. It's just moving on with your life. Say that again. If you're not enjoying it, it's not quitting. You're just moving on with your life. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. I see a lot of similarities with like your story and a bit of mine. I did kind of quit. Um, you persevered. You've done really, really well. I hope that people listening do take inspiration from from not giving up. That's one of the one, one reasons I did want to talk to you because you just haven't given up. You're a female in a male world in Yorkshire, <laughs> which is hard, stoic, Sumerian, grey. You know, you've battled it and you became a world champion and you carried on even though you've had how many injuries i don't know you've had a fair few yeah, yeah multiple yeah. <laughs> multiple you know i had pneumonia and, I, and then i fucked it off <laughs> so I, I don't know where you found this inner strength to keep going but you know it's it's inspiring and um i know you're fairly well i'm really glad you've came here today and you've told us all about this because i think it's awesome and When's the Commonwealth Games? Commonwealth Games is for the triathlon the last weekend of July. So the 29th and 31st, I think we race. In Birmingham? In Birmingham, yes. So that's, you're going home. You're... Yeah, I'm going home. It's where I started triathlon. So it's almost like full circle to go <sighs> there and represent Wales. And hopefully... You've got to do a performance then. Yeah, Come hopefully on. do a good performance at last. <laughs> I'll make sure I watch that. Honestly. Thank you very much. I, I really will. Um, thank you for coming on. Quick note to anyone who at the moment is struggling in february please keep going i'm five months four days today i am sober um it's been the toughest thing i've ever done in my life i'm on step 11 of the 12 steps and i just want people to be honest with themselves and if you are having a hard time i want you to talk to people i want you to know that you can keep going and you know none today is a really great example that um nothing's impossible um 
you know you get injuries you get setbacks but you pick yourself up and you keep going there's been times where i didn't think i could but you know i'm here i'm happy i'm in a good place and today's recording has been really enjoyable so thank you so much for coming and thank you to the people who sponsored it thank you non Stanford. thank you everybody <laughs> thank you the yorkshire grit podcast Subscribe now on iTunes and Spotify.